You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. Our podcast is featured on the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle or me at leadersandlegends.net. And as always, all our podcast interviews are dedicated to the legacy and generosity of P.E. McAllister. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guests today are Karen Fusen and Rick Fusen. Good day. It's so fun to have both of you. I told Karen, that I've been chasing Rick for a long time. Denny Sutherland says, I cannot do these podcasts without talking to you. Denny Sutherland would do that. He's a consummate salesperson. So <laughs> I'm surprised he hadn't called me and told me that I better get my, get my voice in gear. Yeah. And then I got lucky in the sense that it's been pushed back so much because of this amazing new news initiative that you were hosting, or excuse me, holding or running here in Indiana. Something like that. Yeah. So we'll get a chance to talk about that for a little bit. This podcast will probably be a little bit shorter than our normal length. And as such, a friend of mine suggested that we start with the five questions. And that way we're sure to get these in. Okay. So are you ready? Can't wait. All right. It's going to be ladies first on all these I questions. Go right ahead. What was, Karen, what was your first job? Detasseling corn. Where? Central Indi- Central Illinois. My first job was working at Lofner's Cafeteria on uh, 38th Street. That was my mother's first job. Was it? Yeah, back so, when it was with Mick Lofner's. Yes, it was still Lofner's over there, but at Mick Lofner's, yeah, we all went there as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then they turned it into Lofner's, but yeah, that's what I did. Karen, what was your first concert? Oh, I'm not a huge concert goer, despite the business my husband is in. It would have been, oh, Huey Lewis in the News at the Illinois State Fair back in the day. That shows you the age difference. I was just getting ready to say. <laughs> because mine was in um, uh, the Beatles in 1964 at the Coliseum with my father and my uh, sister. What? We have an age difference? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> a year or so? Yeah, just a few years. But that was that's one of the things that I think about most about this business is I went to the Beatles the first time in 1964, and then I've worked both of the other McCartney shows here in Indianapolis. So every time McCartney's been here, I've been part of it. Did you get a chance to say hi or anything? Oh, yeah, met met uh, McCartney last time uh, he was here when he did that amazing show for how many ever hours well, he did it. July 14th, 2013, because yeah. my kids and brother and I were here, yeah. and it was absolutely magnificent. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes, it was. And then several other people went to the Beatles concert. Is it John well, Gray Mike, went? Uh, Mike, Mike McDaniel, McDaniel went? Yeah. In fact, Mike McDaniel had, he, he had a, might have had, let me just say that, might have had a, <laughs> might have had a CD that maybe got uh, lost in the flood. But if it got lost in the flood, you can have the one I have. <laughs> okay, that'd be great. <laughs> and the other interesting story about that concert is the phenomenal Mark Miles watched the Beatles drive down the street. On the way to the concert, he didn't go, but he saw them driving. Yeah, yeah it was amazing. So all, all of us older folks, that's when the concert wasn't that big a deal. But man, it was something there. Karen, if you could suggest any book for someone to read, which book would you recommend? Oh, I read a lot. I just finished a book called The Nickel Boys, which is based on a uh, institution for boys in Florida, historical fiction. And it really gives a great insight into what it was like 
to be growing up black in the mid 50s and what it was like to maybe be poor and black and um, institutionalized. And, and it's a horrific story, but it is insightful. And frankly, I think everybody should read it so we understand our history better. We all need to read more about post World War One civil rights movement for sure. Yeah, and pay attention to it. Uh, I am not a, a voracious reader by any means, and I couldn't. Too bad, but I can't tell you the last book I finished. Season Probably on the, the brink. I'm sorry. Season on the brink. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> probably. I got to tell you, this is. People have asked me this before. Probably the book that I remember reading the most about was in college, which was War and Peace volumes. Oh, but, sure. But I'm a current events guy. I'm a headline guy, and the first paragraph because I think writers have a tendency to get boring after that. So may I suggest a book for both of you to read? Please. He came on the podcast and. Uh, his name is Timothy Egan, and we haven't posted it yet, but it may be posted by the time that we post this interview. And the book is called Fever in the Heartland, mm-hmm. and it is all about the role Indiana played in the resurgence of the Klan after World War I. Mm. It focuses almost entirely a lot on D.C. Stevenson mm. and his uh, murder, for lack of a better term, of... Madge Oberholzer. Mm-hmm. It's of particular interest to me because it's Irvington. Mm-hmm. So they both lived on University Avenue. I grew up on University Avenue. It's a phenomenal book about race, politics, power, and culture in the United States, specifically Indiana, basically starting in the early 20s. And he is coming here. Oh, really? Yes, to give a couple of lectures. I'll make oh, wow. sure I let you guys yeah. know that. You know, the, Adam Wren reached out to me about oh, really? it. And then I said, I literally just got finished talking to this guy. And so I'll make sure. Phenomenal interview. And the book is off the charts. You, you two, both of you too young to remember this, but the Indianapolis Times won a Pulitzer Prize for their exposure of the Ku Klux Klan. Indianapolis Times obviously was gone, is gone a long time, but it, it was a very important journalistic piece for sure. You just you knew the story because I grew up in Irvington and it's a big part of Irvington sort of lore. But until reading the book, a I didn't realize what a son of a bitch D.C. Stevenson was. Worse than you think. He's actually what you think of him based on what you hear, and then what you think of him after you read about him. It's amazing really? he could get that much worse. But isn't it sad that we still have the hatred in our country? Like we do today, when you would would have thought after situations like that, that maybe it would go out of American society. But you look at today in terms of how people feel about people who don't look like them or don't have the same religion as them. It's it's very sad, in my opinion. As long as it's a path to power. Yeah. Mm. We'll see. Fourth question, Karen, if you could witness any event in history, be there in person as it happens, which event would you choose? Wow, I, I'm gonna let Rick's nodding, so he must know his Gettysburg address. Oh. The very popular answer. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt to be able to hear uh, Abraham Lincoln in person at at such a time of uh, difficulty in our country. You couldn't find another thing that would be more important for me. I think I would echo Rick on that one, and I know my son is a particular. He loves that era, his history, and is fascinated by Abraham Lincoln and all that was done. So I, I would say I'd like to join Rick in that same place last question and you can't answer each other if you could have dinner with anyone living today two hours off the record just to chat whom would you choose see karen's answers are so much faster than when i would be at the ed board at the indianapolis star (laughs) yes for sure Mm, that's a really good question too you know who i'd like to have a long chat with is kamala harris I would like to understand what it's been like to be vice president and with all the controversy surrounding her vice presidency, is she engaged enough? Is she not engaged enough? I think there's a lot of people who are judging, not understanding what her role is, perhaps, or maybe not. But I can't really, in the media, see the the, the truth to what's happening in that, in, in her role. And I, I'd like to sit down with her and ask her about that. Why hasn't she done this or why has she done this? And get a better sense of that vice president's role and why she what we all hoped for was a much more visible outgoing president as vice president, as a woman and as an African-American that we haven't seen that come to fruition. I'd like to, I'd like to get underneath that. Um, President Zelensky. And the reason I say that is because I, I think he's been a, an amazing television leader. 
I think he's gone around the world. I think that country attacked by, by Russia with a person like Putin, who's the head of that, who doesn't really care about people, in my opinion. But then to come through the time when the United States was so supportive, when that was the only war going on, and then you have the Hamas attack, and then you have the Israeli-Hamas Israeli war for his war to be put on the second page of the newspaper instead of the first page, I think that has to be terribly difficult. And so I, I can't imagine his pressure and what he says to his people, but I think it would be fascinating to sit and talk to him. Rick and Karen Fusen are our guests on the Leaders and Legends podcast. How long have you been married? Nine years in January. Yep. How did you meet? Oh, so I'll tell you the truth about this. Well, I don't know good. what she'll tell you. Not going to lie. <laughs> the Pacers had a deal. Yeah. Pacers had a deal with the, with the Indianapolis Star. And so we had a deal. And so Karen comes to town and she decides that she's come from Phoenix and now she's the big time publisher and uh, president of the star. So we're all scared of her. Yeah, <laughs> she's not happy about she's not happy about the creativity of the Pacers in terms of their deal. We said, OK, why don't we just meet and we'll talk about that. And uh, uh, we'll never forget this. And I think she'll we'll tell the truth about this. We went through the whole rigmarole about uh, doing another deal, et cetera, et cetera. And so we did. And uh, I won the deal and she didn't. And so we got the deal <laughs> and she thought she was going to win. And she didn't. But that's how we met. And I think it's, you know, it's one of those things when the spark happens between human beings, you, you know it. And the other thing is, my father was a newspaper man. But why not spend my, the rest of my life with a newspaper woman? It's I got lucky in that case. How accurate is he? Did he bury the lead? <sighs> no, he's fairly accurate. He did win that particular negotiation. Now he missed a couple pieces, but I'll give him. I'll give him that. And <laughs> Indy Star probably regretted that for years. But I think the other thing about Rick and I, we were friends and professional colleagues for years before anything happened. We really just both have a, and Rick does, has a love for the city. I fell in love with the city right after I moved here. We both care about newspapers. We both want to protect democracy. And so I think we we had this passionate friendship because we were both on the Downtown Indie Board and some other boards together. And our friendship and our basis for our relationship has been our shared passion for this city and our community. How does someone who attends Northwestern get out negotiated by... <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty easy. She was in journalism school, not the business school. <laughs> and she did. Yeah, she oh. went to Northwestern, but that's that's like a lower lower IU. So well, what more can you say? Do they call it Nerd Western there, or is yeah, that they, just, no? I, I, I yes, yes. We we had several chants when we played big state schools. That's okay. That's, the only that's thing okay. about going to Northwestern, she's a big tenor. You're going to work for us someday. Remember that? Was yeah, that I remember you saying that. But <laughs> obviously, I'm not. Yeah. You know, I I might come on strong with the first uh, level of negotiation, but then I pretty much given. And his team, they came to the table with more creativity. That's what I wanted to see. Smart people on both sides, but the Pacers are a singularly brilliant yes, organization okay. and have Very been good. for a long time. We have, we've had great leadership. We have, in my opinion, the finest family uh, led by Herb Simon in, in many fields, but certainly in sports. And when you get guys like uh, Jim Morris, who I've worked here for so many years and allowed folks like me to have my career here from in my 40th season. So uh, you can't beat it. And you got a great town. And the, the Pacers are fab, part of the fabric of this community and have been for over 50 years. I did the PR for a, a capital improvement board sure. and the, mm -hmm. involved the Pacers a few times. And it was very edifying to learn all the things the Pacers do that you don't know about. Mm -hmm. Does that help bring you back here after 40 years? Well, Every day? Yeah, it certainly helps. And to have a group of people in the Simon family who will continue to give and give and not look for publicity has taught us all to be humble about what we do. And we're, our, this company is about entertaining and serving is as important, if not more important than entertaining. And because of the Simon's humbleness, none of us really put ourselves out there about taking credit for this or that when we've got all kinds of people who do a lot of things in the city and have for a long time. And it's just the humble Indiana upbringing, working for people who give and give and don't want credit. Uh, man, that's a pretty good life. When you were together and you were still at the Star, 
the relationship between any organization and the news media can be a little fraught. Mm-hmm. How was how did you? There had to have been. I'm going to guess. I shouldn't assume. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess there was some sort of conversation about a wall mm-hmm. or. Don't ask me about Kravitz. Don't ask me about right. oil. Don't ask me about such and such. You know, is that a conversation that took place? Oh, oh for course. sure, for sure. As as, yes, and as soon as we <laughs> as soon as we started dating, I, from an ethics standpoint, I let my boss at the time know, and then we set up. Jeff Taylor was my editor at mm-hmm. the time, and we set up a policy that if Jeff had anything to do with the Pacers, went to Jeff, and Jeff went to my boss. If Rick had questions, he went to Jeff. I was really out of anything to do with any of the work that Pacers did so that my staff would see that I wasn't compromising their reporting. And, and it saved me at home because I didn't hear Rick complain every morning. <laughs> yeah. Working at the Pacers for 12 years when my father passed away. Uh, and so I had some experience of uh, dealing uh, with my dad sure. in terms of things. And we could have, there was a lot of stories you could have given to my dad in the way that things happen. But if he were alive today, he'd tell you, uh, we, we never told each other anything. And so it wasn't that hard for me not to be in that position to not really, I, I might gripe at her about it, but, but she never ever hear anything from me ever. In 2014, in April of 2014, the $160 million deal with the CIB between them and the Pacer Sports Entertainment was announced. I did the PR for that and gave it to Mr. Kravitz mm. and got some grief because of it. But I thought he had the best angle. And that is, I don't want to sit around and write about nothing for a few months if the Pacers go someplace else. Right. Yep. How much does sports coverage drive today's media? It depends on the media, but significant amount. It drives it. When I was at the Star, it drove a significant amount of our page views and our engagement. And I know that it still does. It's it is what this town is about in a lot of ways. And I think that whether it be the economic impact, the entertainment impact, or the actual just actual games and or our high schools, it's significant. It's a it makes a big difference in this community. I also think it makes this community feel bigger than other communities at size across the country. So I've worked across the country. I ran 60 new newspapers for Gannett. Other cities that were the same size didn't have the same vibe downtown. They didn't have the same vibrancy uh, that we have because of what a sports sports culture we have. So I think balancing that with the economic development and other things have made it a great city. And that leads me to my follow-up for Rick, which is how much pressure do you feel given the complete accuracy of everything she just said, that not just jobs and the economy, images, but the emotions yeah. of, of your friends throughout Indianapolis, a million people, because Rick knows one million people yeah. at least. <laughs> at least. At least. I don't look at it as pressure. I think we look at it as opportunity, for sure. Because I think when you think about Jim Morris and Dick Luger and Frick and Bohm and all those folks, Sandy Knapp and all those folks. Who Can I say, mention one more name? Sure. Who am I going to say? P. McAllister. You damn right. Yeah. 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 Actually, I call him Pershing McAllister. Pershing. Like, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So there's no question about that. That group picked the right thing to do in terms of the sporting thing. And it just wasn't about pro by any means. It was about sports in general. When you have a when you have a city that has the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, that's a pretty good chance that if you push sports like they did, that we're going we're gonna to really be something. So I don't look at it as pressure at all. I mean, we win and lose games. Um, the Colts win and lose games. The Indians win and lose games. Um, but, you know, in the end, I think our camaraderie, uh, the fact that we don't really compete against each other, the fact that guys like Jimmy Ursay and Herb Simon are friends, mm-hmm. you don't get that kind of thing in a lot of cities. And so from that standpoint, it, it's not only been a success from a private public venture, but it's also been success from a private mm-hmm. thing in terms of ha- how I think this sporting thing over the years has really made a difference for Indianapolis. And I, I, I agree with Karen, but it's allowed us to fight out of our out of our size and our league. And that's why we've got that we're the, one of the best convention centers in the country. That's why we employ 83,000 some odd people in the industries that we're in. And that's why every day, as Jim Morris would always say, you see the Pacers name or the Colts name or whatever else in but dang near every newspaper in the country, every sports line, whatever else. And it's about Indianapolis. 
That's why it's so important for me to have the All-Star game here in 24, because it gives Indianapolis another opportunity in terms of the world stage, not in terms of America's stage, but in terms of the world stage. And I love my friends who we all put on the Super Bowl here. But if you think about the 1800 media coming from all around the world, and you think about the 200 some odd countries that the NBA goes to and 40 some odd languages, that is really promoting Indianapolis. And we couldn't be more about excited about doing those kind of things. Mm-hmm. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends, LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, which reminds me to mention another name, Jim Dora Sr. Jim Dora Sr., Absolutely. The McGinley's Golden Ace Inn and NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. Our guests today are Rick and Karen Fusen. Is there a particular Hoosier leader and or legend you admire most, Karen? Oh, there's a lot I admire. I thought this community of all the communities I've lived in in my life has been the most welcoming one to me as a business leader. And I I think that if I asked my friends around the country, they wouldn't have guessed that Indianapolis for a woman coming in her 40s would feel real welcoming, right, as much as it has been. I would think from from an Indiana standpoint, I'm going to go with the real obvious and the one that's made the biggest difference aside from my husband is Jim Morris. He Within days of me being here, I had me in his office, was connecting me to people, wrote out that little list for me, here's all the people, set me up. And I felt engaged in this community within a month of being here. And I felt like that really set me up uh, to be hopefully the best publisher I could be. So I, he, he made the biggest difference for me personally. He's the most popular answer mm-hmm. by far. Mm-hmm. I interned for Dick Luger. It's um, the second most popular answer. When, when Go he, right ahead. He, he was mayor. But you know what? As we went through, if you come to Bicentennial Unity Plaza and you look upon the painting that's up on the wall there, there are 43 or so Indiana, Indianapolis-related folks. And man, there are so many who are there who were so important to Indianapolis during my lifetime. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to say. Jim Morris is certainly on my list. So is Herb Simon. Uh, so is Pershing McAllister mm-hmm. and, 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 and Dick Luger. And you think about today, what makes Indiana great? You think about Mitch Daniels and you think about all these folks that have made, you think about Birch Bayh and what he did for women in terms of the Title IX. And you think about my friend and, and really a mentor, Larry Conrad. Mm-hmm. So if, if I'd like to say one but I have such a strong group of people who affected my life and who have made this city great that I could never pick one over the other. I'll give you a chance to say another one. I'm very lucky to have graduated from an IPS high school, How on the east side. Yeah. You are a graduate of Arlington and yeah. a member of the IPS Hall of Fame. I, I, I have been there, yes. Sir. Yes. <laughs> That's one of my goals since, is yeah. to be in the IPS Hall of Fame one day. You get to be a lot of things when you get to be older. <laughs> How did IPS yeah. back in the late 60s, a turbulent time for sure, we had some great conversations with uh, John Thompson sure. about the late 60s, Milt Thompson about yeah. the late 60s. Uh, you went there with a, one of my all-time favorite people, and he is, and that's Lacey Johnson. I mentioned Denny Sutherland before. Yeah, right. how, how did IPS, that that education, shape you as you moved along in your career? Those two guys that you, you mentioned, Denny Sutherland, who's three years older than I am, and, and Lacey Johnson, who's m- my age, we all played football together. We all lived in basically the same neighborhoods. And while the world was a, in, in a terrible strife, whether it be the Vietnam War or whether it be Haight-Ashbury or whether it be the, in the assassinations and the, for all intents and purposes, a lot of white people not liking black people and it was terrible. But the benefit of going to IPS was the fact that we were all brought together and we took advantage of that. And to, to this day, Denny Sutherland and Lacey Johnson and I are the best of friends. It's just like when I went to IU in 1970, 1971, and the year after that, Quinn Buckner came and he played uh, for IU, and we're still friends today and still work together. So I, I never really saw in IPS the strife that maybe some others had mm-hmm. because either our teachers or our parents 
had taught us earlier in our lives to get along with whoever you sit next to. And, and so I, I wouldn't trade my experience for, at, I, at IPS for anything. IPS 71 and then 106. And my sister went to one because she was a gifted child. And we think about it, all my family's been there. And I, I think IPS has always been in strife because public education's always been under the gun. And I don't think we get a, you didn't ask me this, but I'm going to tell you, I don't think we give enough credit to uh, the, the IPS as the, as the educational builder of this city. One and two, uh, regardless of what you think about the neighboring schools or whatever else, IPS still has 34,000 students in their care. It's terrific to hear you say that, Rick. I directed the IPS referenda in 2018, and some people were like, Why would you do that? And I said, There's no substitute for loyalty. IPS was a huge part of my success, even though I went right into the Army afterward, it was an extension of my success. In the early 80s, in mid-80s, when I graduated in 86, we didn't have any racial strife at Howe High School. It was an amazing amalgamation of people. So to hear you say that, it makes me think that it's something that's been going on for a long time. Oh, it has been. And sometimes they, they really don't get the credit that they should. And even with this last referendum, there were some in political positions in this town who thought that IPS should have come to them. And what IPS stood up for itself. And I think that's very important. And I think the superintendent's done a fantastic job. And I think there are a lot of kids who, if they didn't have IPS, would not have any education. Karen, you've mentioned that you've ran, I think you said 15 newspapers? 16. 16. 60. I was running when I I was West Group president before I retired from Gannett. I was running 60 from Ohio to Guam for Gannett. Guam? I never actually went to Guam because I heard there were snakes in the ceiling. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I tried to avoid that trip. <laughs> so let's, I want to make sure we get to the, the new media initiative mm-hmm. that you're heading up. But when you came to Indianapolis and you came to the star, did it fulfill your expectations? Did it exceed it in a way that, wow, there's really a lot going on here? Uh, absolutely did. I, I, did not set foot, I did not set foot in Indianapolis until the day I was announced as publisher. So I'd never visited. I'd never seen the city. I'd never spent any time here. And so I really did not know what I was getting into. And it exceeded my expectations, both in terms of community, market sophistication, diversity. It just, it had all the things that I wanted to be able to do. I wanted to be able to raise my family here. My kids were both three years old when I moved here. And I wanted to be able to be involved in a leader in the business community. And I found it welcoming. I found the talent, the ability to hire great talent here. And people got really engaged and cared about what we were doing. So it was, I, I still go The being publisher of the star was the best job I ever had. And then as I moved further into administration for Gannett, it became less fun. Very few, I guess it's an institution, institutions get criticized as much as the news mm. media. Maybe my particular institution, if you want to call politics that, we're close. How do you handle that, knowing that basically every day, Republicans like me, we have our own particular beef, but put that aside for a second, that every day you're going to pretty much make someone really mad? Yeah. That was probably the biggest thing I had to grow into in this job because in my former, my last job in Phoenix as VP of sales and strategy, I didn't have as much consumer facing from that perspective from the news side. It was an interesting transition. I had to learn to have a really thick skin and be confident in the accuracy and the truth that my team was telling in their stories. I've been yelled at by a lot of leaders that have been on your podcast <laughs> for one thing or another, I've been called to the carpet. I always hate it if I came to my office that morning, my this is my assistant would hand me a note that says, so, Mitch Daniels wants to see you at the governor's office. I'm like, oh, no. That happened. Um, I think that I just developed a thicker skin as, it, as, as I needed to. I think the most challenging time I had, and, and Rick and I were uh, married at that time, was RIFRA. Vaguely familiar. You're vaguely familiar. I think that Rick and I have very vivid memories. He and I were on spring break in Denver with my kids when that happened. There was no real spring break. Rick and I sat in a hotel room and I conferenced with my team constantly. And Rick was a great, he's such, uh, um, as you can see, a passion so passionate for our community, such a homer, loves everything about the city, that he was such a great partner for me as I was just thinking through how do we approach it? How, what can we do? And my team came to me with a bold idea of that front page. And But 
goodness, the reaction on that. We lost a lot of money. We lost a lot of subscribers. I got a lot of voicemails that I will never replay for anybody mm. about things I should do with my head that I didn't think are possible. I think you just... And I, and over time, as I've gotten older, I've learned to say that if you're doing the right thing, if what your if your heart is in the community, you're going to make some mistakes. But if your heart is in the right place, then you just walk away from the feedback. I should disclose, if I hadn't already mentioned it, that I was communications director for the Mike Pence uh, re-election campaign at that time. Got quite a few interesting emails. <laughs> got some death threats and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff that mm-hmm. happens. And. Uh, it was probably the darkest time in terms of our city's image, mm-hmm. but I'm going to be a complete homer and say one guy really stood out, and that was my former boss. Mayor Greg Ballard, mm-hmm. I thought, was magnificent mm-hmm. during that entire um, episode. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I bless you all for serving our country. Uh, Thank you. Obviously, you and Mayor Ballard in his 20-some-odd years in the Marines. But maybe that gave him a little bit of the training uh, to be able to handle terribly, terribly difficult situations. And you should be proud of him. You all should be proud about a lot of things. That was a dark day in our Mm -hmm. state's Mm -hmm. history. But the, the thing about it that we the business community really came together. And it's Mm -hmm. one of the few times I think that a lot of the people who didn't like the Indianapolis star finally agreed with the Indianapolis star that day. And I think in terms of their, what the newspapers, the front page of the newspaper was about. And so many people on both sides of the aisle jumped in to help fix that. And that was a positive moment in Indianapolis that helped us get out of that. I think. I think it showed I think it showed what I believe Indianapolis is capable of, which is coming across the aisle and working together to move our city forward. And I'd love to see us do more of that. I think more of that happens here than in many other places around the country, especially right now. But gosh, we just need more of that, right? We need to come together around um, how we move our, our city and our state forward more often. And that I hope we don't have to have that kind of crisis. But that crisis drove some good outcomes. And as a, the question I wanted to ask you about the exact same time period, you have a business interest as the publisher. Mm-hmm. You also are a lifetime journalist. How did you balance the two in the sense that this could hurt the star, but as a journalist, it's just a damn good story? Yeah, my perspective and and my how I led as a publisher was for doing the right. It's back to the community. If we're doing the right thing, if we're telling the truth, we're doing the right thing for our community. We're helping our community move forward. Um, then we're going to have to deal with the fallout from that. Um, but ultimately, I'm an optimist, as Rick would say. Ultimately, in the end, it works out. It's a bump. It was a bump for sure. I would also, and I would say that the, it's, I think it's important to note the executives at Gannett at that time were fully behind what we did. I didn't ask permission. They didn't ask me to, for permission, but they, when we did it, they stood with me for the fallout, right? They knew I was going to miss some revenue targets. They knew I was going to miss some subscriber targets and not once then, or since then has anybody ever said I should have done anything differently or we should have done anything differently. So I will, I think that's important to know. I asked you what your first job was. What was your first job in journalism? And did you see yourself back then still in, quote unquote, the game? My first job in journalism was editor of my high school newspaper, The Metamorphosis, at Metamora High School in Illinois. And that was really oh, fancy. I said, have some copies coverage? if you want to see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably Bradley coverage. Probably yeah. Local basketball coverage. My second was at Northwestern when I did my internship at the Pure Journal Star. And I spent a semester or summer with them. That is when I decided that maybe I didn't want to be a journalist, but I wanted to be in the business. I had to interview a woman whose um, son had just died, and uh, my editor was pushing me, and I said I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. I wasn't mm-hmm. comfortable with that, but I'm so passionate. Just like Rick said, his parents' influence on him, mine are the same. I think we share that. My parents were very committed to community, democracy, and protecting what a great what a great country we live in, ultimately. So I think that really was why I wanted to stay in the business. See, at a much younger age, her life has really been more exciting than mine. But 
sports has been in your DNA since the womb. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah for sure it has. Do you ever see yourself doing anything else? Oh, yeah, I did. I sold bulldozers for Pershing McAllister. I know that. <laughs> I can't he talks to, about that all the time. I went, I went to Indiana University and came out in 1975 when the economy wasn't worth a hoot in political science. How do you think I was prepared for going forward? Not very well. You know, so, uh, but, Pershing changed a lot of people's lives. You no, know, he did. That's, that's, yeah, he did, for sure. And it was just the opportunities that we've had in this town are uh, unbelievable. But I look at Karen. In our house, we have... Th- uh, three typewriters in our living room. One is a Legos uh, typewriter, which is amazing, built by her son. The other one is um, an orange uh, typewriter that uh, has a, a, a support of democracy. And the third one is my dad's typewriter from when he uh, last uh, used it at the Indianapolis News. You know, pounding the typewriter in terms of making sure that people knew the truth, I think that's what we should be about. I'm going to talk for a few minutes. We have just we have a little bit of time left with Rick and Karen Fusen. I want to talk some Indiana Indianapolis history with him for just a minute. For but sure. before, I want to make sure that you get a chance to talk about your latest venture. Please do. We are excited. So this came out of a call. Mark Miles and Murder Pulliam called me two and a half, three years ago, and said, "What do you think about local news? And where what are we doing in this space? And do we need more? And where's the media? What's the media ecosystem in Indiana look like?" And started an adventure, a three-year journey now of exploring what are the gaps in our state that we n- need to fill to ensure that we protect democracy. And so we launched a year-long research project. We talked to over a thousand Hoosiers across the state and really identified three significant gaps in local community news, right? And that was Gary. That's rural Indiana. And that was the city of Indianapolis, the nine townships and township and neighborhood level news. And so we developed a plan on how to fill those. And we, we have raised to this day about $11 million. We are now called Free Press Indiana. And in that, we do three things. We launch newsrooms to fill gaps in the state where there are gaps. We facilitate investments. So we raise money to give to others or help raise money to give to other for-profit and non-for-profit to help fill gaps. And then we also are working to really foster collaboration among the amongst the ecosystem and figure out what things can we couldn't put in place that can help any media. So we just have a really strong, robust media in our city and in, in our state. And so to the, actually tomorrow, a new publication called Capital B launches in Gary. It's a black-owned media company out of Atlanta, and they'll launch tomorrow with a really robust team and content strategy. And that was facilitated by us. And then in December, we'll launch Mirror Indy, which is a publication targeted at the nine townships in Marion County. I'm going to ask a question and just slap me down. <laughs> Please do. Is it making you feel young again? <laughs> Does that question make sense? Or is it like, you know what? This is the way it started out. And I'm going to do these things. And it's going to be grassroots. It's going to be exciting and neighborhood. The only difference in our lives, because she's doing this, is the fact that she's not traveling to do it. But she's committed to it. And it's amazing that you think about, she mentioned Mark Miles and Murda Pulliam. You think about a young man at 70, like Mark Miles is, who's been around this town forever and done so much. But I'm, I'm more proud than anybody else of Murda Pulliam. Because the Pulliams obviously owned the Indianapolis News, the Indianapolis Star, the Arizona Republic, etc. And you think about another generation who's trying to help the news come out in truthfulness. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fantastic thing. It definitely is making me feel, it's just reigniting my passion for what this work is. And I think that it's the passion I felt when I was publisher and or before, it wasn't the passion I felt as an administrator for Gannett. And then being around people, our board, Caroline Mays, Melissa Schmidt, Nicole Wilson, I've left somebody out and I'm going to pay for that later, but I, I can't remember who that is. And now that we've started hiring, watching these, I say young, because they're all younger than me, these young journalists and editors, they want to do this because they want to make a difference. They, they see this as a life. Uh, one of them said to me last week, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. I love this city. I care about this city. I want to get in and make a difference. And so I just think that, seeing that spirit, I see it in Rick and I see it in Rick's generation. For me to see and feel it in the generation beneath me, it's great because it's, I think some days we've questioned, is it there? Do we see it? What's happening? And so it's good to see that happening, I think. Anything Carolyn Mays is involved in is going to be good. Yeah. She's wonderful. Yeah, she is wonderful. Um, Rick, so many of the people I've interviewed for the podcast have been the folks you've mentioned, or at least remember that and worked with them. Mm-hmm. 
you you mentioned a few minutes ago about coming out of Indiana University. I think you said 1975. That's correct. Yeah. Oh, so the 31 and one season. Uh, yeah, they were pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> what has what about Indianapolis when you came back to the city after leaving Bloomington surprises you most in 2023? If 1975, I would have said X is true. You, which thing would you have gone? There's, you got to be kidding me. There's no way. The things that surprise, this is a positive thing. I'm surprised that we've been able to sustain um, the belief in public-private ventures for as long as we've had. You think about it, mayors come and go, councils come and go, legislators come and go. But there's been this consistency uh, for dang near 60 plus years of my life and that Indianapolis has never quit. We've never quit. And I still think that's what makes us one of the great American cities that we don't get credit for enough. But I think the fact that it's surprising to me that we could have as many Republicans, as many Democrats, both sides of the aisle, everybody from Democrats of northern Indiana to the, to the Republicans in south Indiana who have come together under the times where we needed to do it. And that is a lifelong thing for me. That's probably the most important part of the business career that I've had is the fact that we can always find the way. David Frick, who to me is the most underrated leader in the history no of question. the city. It's, no it's not only is he personally an incredible, amazing Chris Spangles nodding because he didn't know who he was. And then yeah. after the podcast goes, how did I not know about this right. guy? But you didn't know about him because that's the way David Frick likes it. Yeah, that's right. He's indispensable to the history of the city. Um, he said it, but I think my second or third podcast interview back in 2019 was with Bill Benner, who we all know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bill said the most, and I remember it because I was a kid. I was born in 67. The most important decision he thought, and one of them in modern Indianapolis was the decision to build Market Square Arena downtown which Jim Morris was a part of, yeah. I think, or around when he was yeah, in the he mayor's was, office, he, Mayor he, Luger. He was, yeah. And how important has it been to Indianapolis's growth mm-hmm. and prominence, and you could see this really from the outside, mm-hmm. that all these events happened downtown? Right. Well, it was designed that way. <laughs> when Indianapolis was designed, coming spokes coming from the circle, that architect was way ahead of his time. And it, it still makes a difference for us today. The events that have happened here have taken us into an international limelight that that we couldn't have been ex- except for the Indianapolis 500. And I think we these our forefathers really built on this. And when you build a when you build a Market Square Arena, and and then you build a Hoosier Dome without a team, and then as Dick Luger and Morris and all those guys took chance of that, and then comes along Steve Goldsmith who on a handshake deal with Herb ends up building then Conseco Fieldhouse that's now been redone and I say maybe the finest facility like this in the country. And you go to Lucas Oil Stadium and you look at that connected to the convention center that's one of the finest NFL facilities. And you look at, you, you look at a victory field and, and you look at the high schools. Look at our high schools that have gyms and have football stadiums that rival uh, most small colleges. I think sports and the facilities that these folks have let us have have, have built the opportunity us, for us to build more industries like the tech industry. You know, what they're doing in terms of – think about Lilly now. You can't forget Lilly in this town. And, and Lilly Endowment. Yeah, and you can't forget the Lilly Endowment because had they not given Lilly Endowment, had Lilly not done well, and had Lilly Endowment not given money for, for the velodrome related to Pan Am games, we maybe couldn't have had the Pan Am games. And Mark Miles said that when Mark came on the podcast, he said the, the Pan Am games are the most underrated aspect mm. of Indianapolis's growth. I and I was in the Army stationed at Fort Ben Harrison during the Pan Am games. I had to leave my barracks. We all had to move out sure. so that the athletes could come in. And we we're like, what the hell are the Pan Am games? Yeah. I got to give up my bunk for that. Yeah. And he says Indianapolis being on the world stage for something other than the 500 changed so much. We were about on the world stage for uh, something that was negative, too, because I was uh, working for Larry Conrad as the producer of the closing ceremonies, and it was going to be great, and we had all the athletes there and whatever else. And so 
we forgot to tell Larry Conrad that uh, Gloria Estefan and the uh, Miami Sound Machine and Gloria Estefan, his father, worked for Batista in, in, oh, in Cuba. In Cuba. <laughs> and the Cuban uh, delegation almost didn't show up at the closing ceremonies to accept the flag. But it, we got through that. There's so many things behind the scenes. And Mark Miles and Sandy Knapp and all that group, you think about it, it was an amazing moment. But I want to go back one before that actually two before that. And that was the National Sports Festival that we had up on American Legion Plaza. And the first NCAA Final Four we had in 1980. Those combined, I think, probably set us going forward. And we've had so many times that we've forgotten. We had a signature deal between the Russian Federation and Americans. You guys are too young for that. That group, this is a big time town. I'm 55. I love being said I'm too young for anything (laughs) at this point. Last question. Actually, I have one more question, but I want to ask Karen. And we were talking about the people you met and Hoosiers you admired. There really is a battalion, a division of kick-ass female leaders in this city. I know because I've worked for a chunk of them. Sure. Is that something that's I'm not gonna, important to you, or do you find it more it's necessary for success? Like you don't gravitate towards the women's club, but a city or a state or an entity can't grow and be successful unless there is that cadre of soup. You mentioned Caroline Mays. You mentioned Melissa Schmidt. Mm-hmm. Angela Brawley came on the yep. podcast. Yep. The list goes on and on. Yep. How important is that? To success. I think it's really important. I'm I'm probably in the second camp that just knowing and seeing other female leaders and being able to come together when necessary. I've always kept they say every executive should have a a board that they of people that advise them and mine have always been a very diverse group of men, women and everything else. But I think that when I got here and what I continue to see is women in leadership positions and I think it makes a difference. It makes a difference if you're an executive coming from outside this marketplace to know that there are strong females making a difference and I think it's critical. You want to see that. You don't want to be, I didn't want to be the only one out there for sure. I think that in other minorities, that's the most important thing for me in terms of making sure that women and folks who have different skin color than me, black or brown or otherwise, I believe it is our responsibility to make sure that we train, that we educate, and we put good young people who don't look like us in positions of authority. And I think Indianapolis is getting better at that. I don't think we used to be better at it. But I think as we go forward, I think the opportunity is there for us to become even a more diverse society in our city. And I think we've got to be continue to sustain our positiveness. And I would just say that is one of the things I have I love about Rick and I've loved watching him lean into over the last four or five years is his commitment. His commitment to community has always been there. I don't think anyone's ever questioned it. His commitment to being an inclusive community and really caring about moving people in leadership positions, helping people grow. I've seen him grow. Mm-hmm. Talk about feeling young again. I, I see him, he feels his youngest when he's helping others step into their limelight and step into their next roles. And if it's a diverse, inclusive group, he's even more proud. And I, that is definitely one thing I am, I really love about him. It's been fun for me mm-hmm. to see him really lean in hard around that. Thanks. Can I just say one thing? I think both of us as a family believe that we really don't care whether people like us as long as we're allowed to do the right thing. And, you know, if that means we don't have friends, that's okay with me. As long as we're given the opportunity to do the right thing for as many people as we can. And I think that's what this union has brought together. Usually we end the Leaders and Legends podcast with five questions, but we started it today and just a little bit of a difference. So I'm going to give you both a layup. You ready? Did you like that layup? We're here at the Pacer. We got that. We appreciate it. We're tipping off. Yeah, it's a tip-off, remember, not a kickoff. Oh, my gosh. How many times have I said kickoff in the family and Rick's corrected me? We tip off in the Fusen family. We do not kick off anything. I'm like, oh, I got it. I got it. (laughs) Karen Fusen, how has Rick changed your life? 
in a lot of ways. I think what he has done most for me is two things on the professional front. You can't be around Rick and not um, become extremely passionate and committed to this community. You just can't. You can't be a friend. You can't be a wife. You if it and it just his enthusiasm for doing the right thing for making our community better is inspiring every day. I would say on the other thing, the other layer of be he he helps me be a great mom. And he has leaned in to supporting me and understanding me and helping me navigate the world of working and being a mom. And then most recently, not working and being a mom. I really, uh, I owe him a lot for that. And it is impressive. He's, and when he had kids, he was a different person than he is today. (laughs) It's been a transition. And to have teenagers in the house when you're 70 might not be the thing everybody's looking for. Uh, But he has embraced that role. And I'm really thankful. Rick Fusen, how has Karen changed your life? Oh, in so many ways, but she's brought to me a new opportunity to do right things. My kids are, my older kids are 42 and 40 and 33. I got a politician as the older one from Hamilton County. I got one lives in Chicago and one lives in Seattle. But to be part of this family with Karen having two adopted kids, both of who are biracial, has given me the opportunity to look at life differently. And we have to look at it from other people's eyes. And I think going through what we've gone through in the last many years since we've been together, whether it be the murder of George Floyd or whether it be Rifra or whatever else, has just brought us closer together, I think, because a guy like me who grew up in Indianapolis, who went to city schools, you can get away from the real important things of life. And I think she's brought me back down to ground level. You have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends, LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. As always... All our podcast interviews are dedicated to the legacy and generosity of P.E. McAllister. Our guests today have been Karen and Rick Fusen, leaders, husband and wife, generous, and Hoosiers. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Bless you. Thanks for for having us. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Robert at veteranstrategies.com.